You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can check us all out on Twitter at Walker Mail, at Nod of the Scribe, and at Doug Branson LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Lockdown Hornets. It's only going to be me today once again. Doug should be joining me tomorrow. And Nada's out celebrating his birthday. Tweet at Nada, at Nada the Scribe, to tell him happy birthday. We appreciate all of his help. Helps me all the time on this show. And even though we have to try to keep him from getting in Twitter battles a lot, and sometimes he gets suspended every once in a while, and sometimes he likes to flippity-flip on us, we still love Nada. So happy birthday to Nada. And he's an old man now. We appreciate his all of his hard work here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We really doesn't have to, but we need his opinions. We need his hot takes. We need sometimes to run it through the hot take machine. And we always appreciate the analysis from Nada, who was watching, knowing that despair was coming last night, watching the Hornets falter away another lead against the Houston Rockets. They lose 118 to 113. And you knew the entire time that this one was going to be a brutal loss because the Houston Rockets, they're a good basketball team. And I said it yesterday, they're not unbeatable. They're 35 and 25 heading into that game. And they had lost to a couple of teams that you wouldn't consider favorites over the Rockets. They lost to the Nets. They lost to the Lakers just a few games ago. And the Lakers are all in, in, sort of, in all sorts of peril right now. And so the Rockets have lost to a couple of bad basketball teams. But last night, Houston scores 41 points in the first quarter, but they're under 30, that kind of offense, under 30, the next three quarters. And the Hornets, for some reason, again, in the fourth quarter, they just can't score the basketball. You know, Marvin Williams has that buzzer beater at the end of the third, and then they can't score above 20. They score 19 in the final quarter. We'll get to Kimba and his lack of hitting shots at the end of game situations. John Schumann of NBA.com tweets out his statistics in that category. We'll talk about that later on in the show and some of the struggles that the Hornets have undergone this season. That was represented once again in this game. But just kind of taking a look at what we saw last night. I thought three guys played very well. Kimba Walker was stupid in the second quarter. 12 of 22, 4 of 11 from deep. Went to the foul line eight times and was able to dish out four assists. Five steals for Kimba Walker in this game. Nobody else had more than two for the Hornets. And scoring 35 points overall. Had 27 at halftime. Kimba Walker's numbers were dumb. In the, in the second half, there weren't too many field goals that he hit, and especially you see at the end of that game where he misses that three-pointer to at least try to bring the Hornets back with a chance of winning that, maybe sending it to overtime. But Kimba was dumb. I mean, he, you could see how gassed he was. He was phenomenal. Jeremy Lamb, I thought, was great off of the bench. Only 5 for 15, so it's not like it was the greatest percentage in the world, but still 14 rebounds. Six assists for Jeremy, and that was, I think, after about five or six in the first half that he got. 18 points for Jeremy Lamb. He was very good off of the bench. But Nick Batum, how about Nick? A lot of criticism that was deserved this season. Seven of 13 for Nick Batum. Three three-pointers, did hit a, a big one late. Six rebounds, six assists, and 17 points. If that's what he averaged at that type of money and gave you more than I think you'd ever expect from him on the defensive side, he was excellent defensively, I thought, giving you two blocks, two steals, only a couple of turnovers from Nick. And one of those turnovers that Nick had, he actually answered at the other end, pinning a basketball, blocking it off of the backboard. So Nick Batum, you look at him and what he's done the last few games, he gives you 17 and what I think just watching it 
was probably the best game that Nick has played all season long. And he gave you 41 minutes on efficient shooting, efficient three-point shooting, contributing in really every single aspect of the box score. Didn't go to the foul line, so it wasn't aggressive enough that actually sent him to the foul line. But still, that's nitpicking from Nick Batum. You look at his game log. So we're talking about the last four games post-All-Star break. 17 against the Rockets, 14 against Golden State, 14 against Brooklyn, and 20 points against the Washington Wizards. I don't know if it's just putting Nick Batum at the two, but Nick has performed a lot better post-All-Star break. I think you've seen him engaged defensively. You've seen him with three steals against Golden State. He had two against Houston. You've seen him get a couple of blocks in all of these games. Six assists in the last two games against Houston and Golden State. Nick Batum has been very good. This is the guy that you want. He still wouldn't be worth to the contract because that $26 million is ridiculous, the 24-25 on an accelerator. That's still an, a ridiculous contract. But that played like the Charlotte Hornets backcourt that we've always wanted to see ever since Nick got that contract. Kimba putting up those type of numbers, of course you don't expect them to average 35. Even if you get Kimba averaging 25 like he is right now, even just Nick Batum averaging 15, Kimba averaging 25, and Nick giving you a little bit here and there in every single aspect of the box score, that's what you paid the money for. That's the backcourt that you always want to see, and they gave it to you last night. And Jeremy Lamb, again, a, a nice contributor off the bench who probably deserves a starting nod on this team because he's one of the top five best players, but for the better of the team, Borrego has to put, has to put Lamb down in the second unit because the bench was so bad. And James Borrego, he does mention that he's trying to figure out what to do with the second unit because they really struggled last night. I got to find a way to help the second unit better, though. That's on me. And uh, I think Lamb, you know, trying to move Lamb to that group, um, I think think helps. But I got to do a better job trying to help that second unit offensively. That's on me. Malik Monk not being playable is killing that second unit. And it's why they had to bring Jeremy Lamb down to the second, even though Malik, I think, had a 15-point game in that Orlando Magic game. Post-All-Star break, it has been brutal for Malik. It just has been. You've seen him play seven minutes in each of the two games prior to this Rockets game. You saw him play just five against Houston. So what Borrego is doing is Borrego is putting Malik Monk out there in his normal rotation. So he puts him in his normal spot later in the first quarter to try to give Kimba a breather and then... Maybe he puts him out there at the beginning of the second quarter. But what Brego is doing is putting Malik out there, and Malik is going to get up a couple of shots. That's just his game. And so if he puts up a couple of shots and he hits one or he hits a couple, then I would feel like Borrego would leave him in. So if he gets hot, he's a streaky guy. We've seen Malik do this before. Then you leave him in, and maybe he gives you a boost offensively for the night. But if he doesn't, then Borrego is just not going to take the chance that he continues to get extremely cold from the field and certainly not going to provide you anything defensively so he's not going to take the chance he's sitting him down the Hornets are in a playoff push right now and Malik Monk simply can't be played not defensively and not even offensively when you're shooting less than 40 percent we went through the numbers and it doesn't mean that you have to give up on him I'm going to give him three seasons it's just a rule whether it's for the worst or whether it's for the best that's just kind of what I like to do I like to give guys more time because you see people blossom in their third year in the NBA a decent amount guys develop at different levels Malik Monk is a really young dude he just had his 21st birthday so it doesn't mean that we have to give up on Malik 
you know, maybe you do try him a little bit more at one because of his size. And I do think his ball handling is good enough. Decision-making is questionable. I, I don't know what you do with Malik. I'm, I'm spitballing with Malik, but I'm not giving up on him. But the reality is that he can't be played right now. Malik has been bad. And when Malik is bad off the bench and Tony Parker is bad, even though he has been monumental in a lot of the victories that the Hornets have got this season, Tony Parker and Malik both being bad, you're not playing Shelvin Mack because <laughs> I mean, they just haven't played him. They wanted a veteran point guard, so fine. But Shelvin hasn't done much for you since they got him through waivers. Now, what do you do? Maybe Borrego could have gone to Monk in the second half, but I, I don't know why. I mean, Monk was Monk has been bad the last three games. I mean, does he just force up shots, and do you have to just hope that they fall in? I, I have no problem with the way that Borrego at least utilized the lineup. You know, is a Dwayne Bacon somebody you want to see? Maybe it, perhaps it's time to put Dwayne Bacon back in. I could see that. But even Dwayne Bacon has not been efficient from the field, and he kind of plays hellacious sometimes. He's kind of a bull out there. Which, if it's controlled, then maybe. you know This is the kind of balance that we like to question. Does James Borrego sacrifice the minutes of the young players for a playoff spot? And vice versa. Does he sacrifice a potential playoff spot to make sure he gets the younger players a little bit more minutes? I want to play some audio for Mitch Kupchak after the break. At the beginning of the season, we heard Mitch Kupchak comment on a lot of things that are trying to come are kind of coming to fruition right now and I'd like to play some of that audio and we'll get back a little bit more on this game against the Houston Rockets and what we can expect and maybe some of the teams and what they've done around the Charlotte Hornets that will impact whether they make the playoffs or not thanks again for joining me here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast we'll be back after the break it's the Lockdown Podcast Network you are listening to the Lockdown Hornets podcast we're going to talk about Jim or Jay Laranaga and James Borrego. Should get the first name. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that one I should get. Actually, his real name is James, but they call him Jay. We'll call him Jay, too. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Going solo here at the Essex Home Studios, thanks to 730 The Game, ESPN Charlotte. But I want to give a shout-out to the Gettimer.com studios, where we usually broadcast the podcast. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gettimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing that you want to do, and that's make more sales. So continuing the Monk conversation, and he's been very bad post-All-Star break. Borrego's tried to play him in his normal first spot, at least, and then when he doesn't hit a couple shots, defensively you see him trying to guard Clay. He has been put in some bad situations. How about Borrego at least asking him to uh, to defend Clay Thompson, and then you see him on Chris Paul. As everybody, I saw Twitter last night. Everybody was discussing. Okay, Malik Monk on Chris Paul. Yeah, that made me a little nervous. Of course, it makes you nervous. Malik Monk, one of the worst defenders on the team, going up against Chris Paul. He's going to eat Malik for lunch, and Malik can't guard Clay Thompson. He can't guard Chris Paul. And there's not a whole lot of people that he can guard. He's put in some effort. We saw some good stretches. And the fact that there has been some progress here and there, I mean, maybe that's something that you can hold on to. But Malik has not been good. And we can ask Mitch Kupchak, who talked about the importance of Malik Monk developing, and certainly James Borrego 
talked about the importance of Malik Monk developing. You know, Mitch Kupchak, at the beginning of the season, discussed how important it was that he find a way to contribute to this basketball team. And here's Mitch Kupchak now on Malik Monk at the beginning of the year. We're expecting and we need Malik to make a big contribution. If he doesn't, then that's another spot in the backcourt that we're going to need help in. Talked with Rick Bennell on the wake-up call today. He discussed the Jeremy Lamb contract negotiation again. Whether you decide to bring Jeremy Lamb back for a, a lot of money, basically. Especially with the salary cap restrictions that the Charlotte Hornets are under. The number one thing that you were looking at in letting Jeremy Lamb go was having Malik Monk step up for Lamb. And so Mitch Kupchak, here it is again. You know, we're expecting and we need Malik to make a big contribution. If he doesn't, then that's another spot in the backcourt that we're going to need help in. Bingo. So if Malik Monk doesn't, right? He said we need Malik Monk. They relied on him. This was not, well, this is a fine asset for the future. Hopefully he pans out and helps us this year. We need Malik Monk. I think we all knew that as well because of the backcourt lack of depth that they had. And so now with Malik Monk not contributing at all this season, you go back to Borrego not knowing what to do, being genuinely befuddled on what to do when it comes to that second unit, uh, second unit, and Malik Monk's just not helping you. Imagine what Malik Monk would be able to produce for this basketball team if he was a guy that you could constantly go to off of the bench and he would be somebody that you could rely on offensively. Even just a, a more, more consistency than he's given you in some of the stretches that have been flashes of Malik. Because the talent is tantalizing. But it's just come few and far between. Is it somebody that you can rely on to give you 10 points at I don't know, even 40%. He's at 39 right now. Can can he shoot 40% and you know give you 35% from three at least? But he hasn't been able to. The Hornets have not been able to rely on Malik and defensively has also brought some problems. And so now you'll wonder, does Mitch Kupchak sign Jeremy Lamb long-term because you're worried about Malik Monk developing? And I think that would be a mistake. I want to get off of money. I don't want him to sign Jeremy Lamb to a long-term extension. As much as I like what Jeremy Lamb has provided this basketball team, and as cool as it's seen as it's been to see him develop under Steve Clifford, to see the year that he's had this season, I don't want to sign Jeremy Lamb to that much money. I think Lamb's going to get you know, at least, what, $14, 15000000 million? He's going to double the contract. Somebody out there is going to give him that money. I don't want that to be the Hornets. you got to get off of money. And you still have your first-round draft pick. So Jeremy Lamb is going to be gone, and that's why you know, I, if you're going to try to make the playoff push and for James Borrego and for this team, then maybe I understand not trading J Jeremy Lamb at the deadline, but I would have liked to have seen you get something in return for him because I never wanted to re-sign Jeremy Lamb. And the one thing that makes this all bad, though, is that you were hoping Malik Monk would be the guy as the shooting guard to take Jeremy Lamb's place. And let's say that Malik continues to do this type of thing for the rest of the 20 games where you try him out more often than not he's not able to help you even if you get a couple of flashes that makes us feel good for a day maybe Malik Monk does that every couple of games or so but for the most part if Malik continues to do this then we're going to go in the offseason feeling bad and we're not going to have a true answer as Kimball Walker's backcourt mate assuming Kimball Walker does resign with the Charlotte Hornets so it's a really tough dilemma 
that Mitch Kupchak has been in this entire time, and also James Borrego. A couple other things just looking at last night, how big this team, how big this game was when they certainly were well within reach of winning this. In the fourth quarter, they just couldn't take care of business. You saw how frustrating it was to see them lose to the Brooklyn Nets. Here's James Borrego more on just the frustration overall of the loss against the Houston Rockets. I think our guys battled. I was, I was really proud of them. I think they executed the game plan to a T. They competed defensively. I don't know if we could have done better defensively than we did tonight. I mean, we battled to hold them to 21, 28, 28, last three quarters. We gave ourselves a chance. Could we have been better? Yes. Um, but for as explosive as they are, I think our guys did a great job. James Harden was 10 of 29, 1 of 11 from three-point range, did get his 30 points, but he got to the foul line. Even for James Harden, only nine trips to the foul line, I... You know, you look and it's weird to see Harden get 30 points, only seven assists. This is the second game in a row that you feel good about the way that you handled some of the stars. You know, Chris Paul getting 17 and 10, that's probably normal Chris Paul numbers in this offense. So you hold him to, I guess, an average display. And you made Chris Paul hit some really tough shots. Chris Paul reminded me of Tony Parker last night, where Tony, all season long, we've seen him get to that mid-range, near the foul line, closer to the elbow. And Tony, that's where he wants to go, and he'll hit that all day long. Chris Paul hit about two or three fadeaways from four or five feet on the right side of the goal inside the free throw line, fading away with Kimba all in his grill. Chris Paul hit a couple of those fadeaways, and there's just nothing you can do about that. I don't know what else you can do to stop that. Chris Paul just hit a couple of shots, and they were really tough. You made him earn it. But 17 and 10 for him, James Harden goes 30 and seven. So you look at what Kevin Durant and Steph Curry did the night before with Golden State. There's a lot more all-stars on that team than there is Houston, even though they have two. But Golden State, Steph and KD, their best two players, they combined for 36 points. You look at what James Harden and Chris Paul does. They combined for 53, still, or excuse me, 53, I should say 47. I was looking at Clint Capella, who had a monster game, and that's a lot of the reason why the Houston Rockets were able to win this one. But you do a decent job, given what their averages are, on the season in two straight games in a row. You limit what the Stars were able to do. But then again, you go to a Clay Thompson, who really stepped up for Golden State, and to Marcus Cousins, who had his best game of the season, probably. And you go to Clint Capella, who scores 23 points, gets 17 rebounds, just a freaking monster down low. And I thought Cody was fine last night. 13 points for Cody, seven rebounds for him. Both are both would be career highs. If, if Cody averaged 13 points and he averaged seven rebounds for the rest of this season, then those would both be career highs. So it was a fine game from Cody. Just Clint Capella, you could see the strength he showed it off, too, by showing off his biceps. There was a huge rebound at the end of that. I'm sure everybody can remember just watching it, replaying it back in their head. Miles Bridges skied for a rebound just a little early, couldn't corral it. Clint Capella gets his hands on it. Monster dunk. Rockets take another, get another bucket and get a bigger lead. Makes it that much harder to try to come back from, and Miles was pretty frustrated. And so you saw Clint Capella have that kind of impact, and P.J. Tucker... Five for five from three-point range. Five for five. Oh, that's just the life of a Charlotte Hornets fan. The Houston Rockets deserve to win this game. They did a good job, but the starters for the Hornets, if you look at just what the starters did, and Borrego mentioned this in his post-game press conference, the starters won the game last night. 
if you were to just go between what their starters did and the Charlotte Hornets starters did, the Hornets starters won the game. Jeremy Lamb, a part of that group, pretty much, 18 points, he helped contribute. But MKG, Bismack Biombo, Tony Parker, and Malik Monk, all combining for nine points apiece. When you look at what the bench for the Rockets did, Gerald Green coming in, giving you 15 good ones. Austin Rivers hitting a couple three-pointers. It's not like their bench was amazing, but they hit a few three-pointers. And they weren't able to produce enough for you. That second unit wasn't. So here we are. Hornets in a bad way right now. That's a bad loss to Houston. And, I mean, you, you figured going into that one it was going to be tough to win. But still, it's a bad loss, especially just the way that they lost because they're so close, just like they were against the Brooklyn Nets. They even put up a good fight against Golden State. And now you have you do get some help from the Nets. Not that you're really battling with them anymore, but the Nets, they do lose to Washington. And then Dwayne Wade hits the circus shot to send him on his retirement tour. I mean, that was an amazing shot from Dwayne. A goosebump moment. And I enjoyed watching Dwayne Wade all my life, except, of course, we are in the middle of a playoff race. Now the Miami Heat, I believe, just a half game back on the Charlotte Hornets right now. So it's not... It's not all happy. It's not all sunshine and rainbows here, I should say, for the Charlotte Hornets trying to figure out a way for them to get into the playoffs. We appreciate you joining us here on Lockdown Hornets. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe to us on the Patreon page. For as little as $1 a month, you can subscribe to us again through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash LOH, patreon.com slash LOH, and you can take uh, all sorts of content in that we produce outside of just what you hear on the normal podcast. It's Walker Mail here, Locked On Hornets Podcast. Thanks again for listening to us on the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll be back with one last segment. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but... Is that, is they, that the they were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night they didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. Get more Hornets analysis on lockedonhornets.com. Another all-too-familiar theme with the Charlotte Hornets really the past three seasons. The fourth quarter just doesn't go the Hornets' way, and you lose another heartbreaker. And in a very similar way, losing in the fourth quarter, Kimball Walker unable to come up with the big shot as far as a game-tying or game-leading field goal within the last minute. John Schumann comes out tweeting a, a stat. From NBA.com, John Schumann been there for quite a while. He tweets out, quote, Kimball Walker is now four for 18, including one for 10 from three-point range on shots to tie or take the lead in the final minute of the fourth quarter or overtime this season. He would also go on to say over the last four seasons, Walker is four for 31, just 13% on three-point attempts to tie or take the lead in the last minute of the fourth quarter or overtime. You look Four years ago, 2015-2016 is when we'll start. He was one for seven that year. The next season, he was one for five. Last season, he was one for nine. And this year, he's won in already 10 attempts with still 20 games to go. One for 10. So one field goal in that category 
for every season. John also saying that league average on three-point percentage of shots to tie or take the lead in the final minute of the fourth quarter or overtime. Over those four years, it's been about 25%. Kimba Walker at 13. So you're only dealing with 31 attempts. That That's, I guess, I say only because it's not a huge stat in the grand scheme of what you would think a nice sample size is for normal stats. But when you're talking about those types of field goal attempts, yeah, 31 over the last four years, that's a decent amount. And the league average, again, it's 25%. Kimba only at 13. Now, I think the excuse for Kimba Walker is the fact that it's been him and only him that you can rely on in any shape, way, or form in the fourth quarter to help get it done. And Tony Parker has been the only guy here recently that you've also been able to depend on. And it seems like Tony might be getting tired. Does Tony look like a guy the last couple of games that he has pretty much all season long? Because he doesn't to me. He looks like somebody that's been really hurting. Not hurting maybe injury-wise, but that he's huffing and puffing. Somebody that his body might just be breaking down a little bit more. He's an older guy. And that's what something I think that's something we were all afraid about. Here's James Borrego on how much just guarding Chris Paul and the fatigue factor had on Kimball Walker in this game last night against Houston. Well, he's working extremely hard the entire game. You know, we're asking him to defend. He had to guard Chris Paul for an entire game. Um, you know, Kimba understands he's got he's to play on two ends of the floor. For us to even compete in this game, he's going to have to guard, and he did tonight. It's taxing, and then he's got to create on the other end for us every single possession. That's taxing. It is taxing. Look, it, this is Kimba's team. This is something that Kimba has had to do for quite some time. Oh, you've seen Kimba and really nobody else be able to hit the big shots. Kimba kicks it out to Nick Batum, or I don't know if it was Kimba who kicked it out, but Nick Batum takes the big shot in the season debut against the Milwaukee Bucks, and Nick Batum freaking airballs the shot. He does kick it out to Jeremy Lamb against the Detroit Pistons, and Lamb hits that shot, and they go on to win that game. You know, John Schumann also mentions that he's taken three times, Kimba Walker has taken three times as many field goal attempts in that specific scenario as any other Charlotte Hornet has. What you would consider to be in the clutch, Kimba Walker has taken 96 field goal attempts. Jeremy Lamb's only taken 32. That's the next best. Marvin Williams has taken 30. It, it's pretty big, dramatic drop-offs here. So Kimba takes 96 in what you would consider the clutch. Jeremy Lamb is next at 32. Marvin is at 30, and then another dramatic fall-off at Malik Monk at 15. And then you have a bunch of guys that are really close to that stat. Kimba has taken 52 three-point attempts in what you would consider to be the clutch. Made 17 of them, so that's 32%. The next closest, as far as attempts go, is Jeremy Lamb with 10 three-point attempts. And Jeremy Lamb had a big one down the stretch last night. Nick Batum did as well. Jeremy Lamb helped keep them in that as well with that big shot that he hit. One of his five field goals, and then Kimba, of course, hits that, hits that layup. Such a great job of using his body to keep, I think, Clint Capella from trying to block it. He does such a good job of that. And Chris Paul in the postgame uh, with his interviews with the media surrounding his away locker, Chris Paul discussed, I hope you all appreciate him because he does such a phenomenal job. He's one of the best guys in the league at changing pace. He was asked how hard it was to guard Kimba, and he said it was really hard. And so you've got the other respect from the opposing players, from the opposing point guard like a Chris Paul. But Kimba, I mean, it, it needs to be said. Kimba needs to start hitting more of these shots. 
I understand he's tired. I understand Kimba puts the team on his shoulders, and he puts him in that situation, and that's great. It, it really is. I'm not saying that to completely disregard it. I think it is also important, both of these things can be true. It is also important to address, you know what? Kimba has not hit enough shots as he's needed to in the last minute of games and potential game-winning or game-tying field goal attempts. He just hasn't. Four over the last four years on 32 attempts. You know, that's been a problem. I've said my problems that I've had with some of the ISO ball that James Borrego and even Steve Clifford has ran. But you didn't even have ISO ball last night. It was a nice play. Borrego calls that timeout. You get Kimba coming off of a screen down low. Pops out uh, uh, from beyond the three-point line. Seems like he has a hitch where almost, I swear to God, I thought he was going to try to draw the foul again. It was a little bit of a hitch. The defender runs by him, and he gets a look. He, he gets a decent look, and he can't hit. And so I'm not going to kill him for not being able to hit that one, but there's a lot of shots. Again, 32 that we've seen now that Kimba just has only hit four on. Just four. Now, Kimba was a clutch player coming out of college at Connecticut. He's crazy. We all know how clutch he was. He helped win the Big East tournament. We all know his nasty step back against Gary McGee. His ankles still have not recovered. We know the NCAA tournament, he's able to win that championship for them. But he just hasn't been the last four years. If you want to put clutch in the larger sense of just keeping his team within the realm of even striking in those last-minute situations, then absolutely, you are right about that. But Kimba, in the last minute of these games, just has not hit enough. He hasn't hit enough. And hopefully that changes, and we'll see if he does stay here with the Charlotte Hornets. We'll see if there's any other opportunities in these last 20 games because we probably have it's it's a it's a must win against the Brooklyn Nets. Nada was about 50 games too early on it. Yes, they would come in and big play right now. I get it, but <laughs> certainly I'm not going to disagree with this one. It's a must win for the Brooklyn Nets uh, for the Charlotte Hornets to beat them. It might have been a must win the other night when you lost to them. Now that you lost to the Rockets and you weren't able to steal that victory, even though it's at home, I don't know if you can say stealing a victory, but certainly against a better team and you couldn't take care of business, now you have to beat the Brooklyn Nets to try to remain in this playoff picture and go on a nice stretch here within the next few games that you have left at the end of the season. Thanks again for joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. It was a tough one after that Houston Rockets game, but I appreciate you joining me again on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Lockdown Hornets. Go wish Nada a happy birthday on Twitter again at Nada the Scribe. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back one more day for the week.